And I want to share with you this morning a, a, a few thoughts from a passage that I think is so pivotal to our ministry at Northern. This past spring, we graduated 45 students. Most of them are serving in a local church in the kingdom of God somewhere across the world, even right now as we speak, preaching and teaching and sharing. And, and, a, and a passage, I think, from Acts 18 this morning that I think relates as well to how we as, a, as Christ Church are taking root not only here in Oakbrook, but also now expanding our ministries here as a church family. And we find that passage in Acts 18, verses 1 through 11. So if you'd like to find that passage, or we'll have it on the screen for you as well, Acts 18, verses 1 through 11, what it means as a seminary, as a people of God, to become a church for the city. Acts 18, 1 through 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Acts 18, 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who along with his wife Priscilla had come from Italy when Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. He went to them to see them, and because he was a tent maker, he stayed there and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, Paul shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I am going to the Gentiles. Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. But Crispus, the synagogue leader, along with his entire household, believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just to remind you a bit about the city of Corinth to set the stage for this message. It was a community of about 700,000 people, pretty large on the scale of the Greek and Roman world, primarily colonized now in Paul's day by Roman retirees who had once served in the army and many others who had come to immigrate into this city and to live there as part of their reward for being faithful to the empire. But Corinth was also sort of the sports capital of the Greek world. About every other year, they hosted the Greek version of the Super Bowl, the Isthmian Games. So Corinth was a city populated with athletes and superstars, politicians, the prominent, the famous, the wealthy. But according to the Bible, the two people that changed Corinth for all eternity 
We're not the wealthy, the prominent, the famous, the athletes, the people who really changed Corinth for all time and eternity were actually just two refugees, Priscilla and Aquila, who had actually been deported from Rome by an order of the emperor when he thought he had the upper hand on all the Jewish people in Rome wanting to rid himself of them. They immigrated to Corinth and they also happened to be followers of the way, Jesus Christ, who upon arriving in Corinth met up with a business partner. They had no idea they were going to meet somehow by God's providence, right? Paul and Silas and Timothy had left a failed mission in Athens when they failed to get a new church off the ground in the philosophical capital of the Greek world, Athens. They arrived in Corinth there for a restart and a reboot. And in order to make a little money on the side, they had decided to apply their trade of tent making. Now, don't think of this as, you know, a little pup tent that you might take with you on an Indian guides trip or something like that or Indian princesses overnight trip. This is a, these are massive canvases, right? the kind that would stretch over the large theaters and amphitheaters of the Greek world. These artisans were craftsmen, experts in their trade and their field. And Paul and Silas and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla all had a heart for the gospel. Just as we do at Northern to train and teach pastors to not only plant churches but to restore and to renew established churches, they wanted to go and to share because they knew that more than anything, Corinth didn't need another business. As much as they were doing great work in in nonprofit ministry, they didn't need another charity. What more than anything they needed was a church for the city. That when God wants to move, God uses his spirit to move communities of people in small and large cities, villages and towns, large metropolitan areas like Chicago and little forks in the road as well to begin to shape and do the work that he is calling the church to do in communities all across our world. But whenever God's spirit begins to move, we begin to face something that is just endemic to sharing the gospel, but it is also part of what it means to be a Christian in our world today. Paul faced fierce opposition, envy, anger, frustration. In fact, he faced it from anyone who, who did not believe that Jesus was Lord. It wasn't just the Jewish leadership in the synagogue in Corinth that opposed and abused Paul. He faced it even from Gentiles. I mean, you know, Corinth was a very religious city. You wouldn't find many atheists in Corinth. They just didn't worship the true God. They worshiped their sports stars, their athletes, their money, their fame, their politicians, their emperors, whoever it was, themselves. They just didn't like it that Paul was claiming that Jesus was the one and only true Lord. And they opposed and reviled him. They abused him. They hurled insults at him, which is part of what our world is about today, not just to Christians, but to a lot of people. We face all kinds of anger and vitriol and hate and envy and rivalry. It's something that the French call, we don't even have a word for this in our English language. It's something that the French call resentment. It's not just an anger. 
but it's an anger at another person that seeks their destruction too. It's what Hannah Arendt called a universal irritability at people for just being people, right? Now, what is the cause of all this? Pankash Mishra says in his book, The Age of Anger, some of it is a sense of of just envy and rivalry against others. It's the, the, the humiliation that has been caused, sometimes by shaming on social media, shamed by other people. Some of it is a deep-seated sense of of overwhelming helplessness in the face of the fear and anxiety in our world. And remarkably, when Paul sees this abuse, this resentment in Corinth, do you know how he replies to it? Do you know how he fights back against that anger of these in this synagogue? Well, Paul replies to anger with anger. Did you notice? This is the dark side of the apostle. This is the not so nice part of the apostle. This is long before he would write to the Romans, overcome evil with good. Paul is still trying to overcome evil with evil. Did you notice? He shook his clothes off at them. He heaped curses on his fellow Jews. Your blood be on your own heads. That's not very nice language. It's very sanitized in our English versions, right? We are at church. We won't say what it means literally. Paul is not happy. Why? Because he finds that this experience almost becomes a mirror in his own life to deal with the resentment and anger that has somehow built up in himself. You see, we don't have to look too far, even in church, to find a universal irritability in our own lives. And sometimes it comes out not just when you're facing people opposed to the gospel. Sometimes it just comes out because you're stressed in life. Now, we've had a wonderful time moving here. We've lived here just just over a year. We live in Clarendon Hills, wonderful little home. We've been greeted by great neighbors, and we've also been welcomed by very interesting wildlife. You see, in Florida, we don't have a lot of wildlife running through the yard, but in in Clarendon Hills, we have wildlife. We have more rabbits than we could ever imagine. I've almost thought maybe they should rename it Clarendon Rabbits, not Clarendon Hills, right? And then we've also been greeted by skunks. Yes, our dog especially, Buster, a golden doodle, Half of a horse has now been greeted and sprayed by skunks. He's been skunked five times in our backyard and lost every time. It's the skunks five and Buster nothing. (laughs) Now, I have a wonderful wife, and she is so always willing to, to bathe Buster and take care of him after he has been skunked, partially because she does not trust me to get all the skunk off the dog. But I just get mad, you know. And one day I walked out on the back deck, And I could smell the skunk because somehow Mr. Skunk had gotten underneath my back porch. And I said, this is it. I am now on a mission to rid the village of Clarendon Hills of all the skunk problems. So I went down to my only source of hope, the hardware store. And I said, I've tried everything you have. Do you have anything that can rid me of skunks? And he said, yes. 
I have a smoke bomb designed for skunks. So he took me back to the back cauldrons of the hardware store where they keep the skunk smoke bombs. I purchased a package of five of them just in case the first one didn't work. I went home. I lit the fuse on the smoke bomb. I threw the smoke bomb underneath the back deck, hopefully watching Mr. Skunk fleeing out in fright, never to come back, except, except I forgot to calculate one little part of the equation. There were some dry leaves underneath the deck that suddenly just caught on fire while I was trying to rid myself of the skunks. The skunk was just happy, paws folded, watching me as I just about burned the entire deck down. I grabbed a broom, I pulled the spoke bomb out, I stamped out the fire and the leaves, and all I could hear underneath the deck was just a soft laughter. <laughs> Now, I realize something. I don't think, personally, I am ever going to be able to rid my life of skunks. This is just part of it, right? It's part of the experience of living. And what I experience just in my own backyard, I think is a bit of life, too. You know, in life, we are never going to be able to rid our world on our own of anger and hate and fear But we can try to rid our world of the skunks on our own and turn ourselves into the skunk, right? We can take on their universal irritability and burn the whole house down in the process. Or, or, we can become the church. You see, this is what Paul learned. This is exactly why we need a church for the city. Now, you might say, if you're honest with me, I was a pastor before I became a seminary president. You know and I know that in the church we can find many examples of universal irritability, right? But if we are doing our jobs as the people of God, the church is going to be, much like in Corinth, a crossroads of people with pain and trauma and hate and worry and envy in their lives. But it is exactly by coming and being the church that we begin to receive the same message that Paul needed to hear from the Lord. That when he went down the street to the house of Titius Justice and found a worshiper of God in whose home he could plant a church, it was that night that the Lord gave Paul a vision, an auditory vision, what we might call an audition. Not something he could see, only something that he could hear. And it was in this auditory vision and audition that the Lord spoke to Paul a message that I think all of us need in the face of this anger that we experience in life that could actually become a part of our mission. Whether we're serving here in Oak Brook or Clarendon Hills or Lombard or Lyle or Lawndale or Africa, the Lord says to Paul, listen, I want to give you promise and presence. Notice what he says in verse 9. Do not be afraid 
I am with you. At the root of Paul's resentment was just fear. Fear of failure. Fear of what his fellow Jews might think about him. Fear of what might happen if fear of not just the unknown, fear of what he actually knew was going on. Do you ever have those kinds of fears? Boy, I do. But what the Lord says is that fear is causing such anger and hate in your life, it's preventing you, it's like a toxic poison preventing you from being my witness in the world. He says, I want to replace that fear with something that has existed from the very beginning of time. It goes all the way back to the beginnings of the Bible, all the way back to Genesis 26. It's the promise of my presence. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I am that I am. Back in the book of Genesis, the Old Testament figure Isaac was in the midst of a famine fighting against Philistines who had taken a well from him that he thought he rightly deserved from his father Abraham. It had been left to him for an inheritance in Beersheba. And Isaac was so upset he was ready to attack the Philistines so he could get his well back. But that night the Lord spoke in a vision to Isaac almost the, virtually the same words that he gave to Paul. And he said to him, Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will bless you. And the Bible tells us that when the Philistines came and saw the blessings of Isaac, God used the experience to bring the Philistines and these new Israelites together. And they actually, through a festival, signed a peace treaty and dug up the well and shared the water with each other. He replaced his fear with God's presence. It's those very same words that Jesus spoke to disciples who were in the midst of a stormy sea of Galilee, that Jesus walked on the water to them in the midst of their fears and worries. And he said to them, you remember what he said when he walked on the water? Do not be afraid. It is I. I am that I am. I wonder where you find yourself this morning. In the midst of your own storm. And if one thing could happen this morning for us at Christ Church, that just by coming to worship and singing together and listening to God's word, that this might be the place where Christ walks out to you on the stormy waters of life and speaks to you the very words that Paul heard in his vision, I am with you. You know, that's one of the reasons I come to church. Whether it's on a Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. Because I need to hear that voice again in my own life. Because it is by receiving the presence of Christ again into our lives. It's always been there, but Somehow our ears get stopped up by the anger and fear inside us. That when Christ walks to us and says, I am with you, do not be afraid, then he says to us, I want to ask you to do two things for me. I want you to live with communication in community. I want you to communicate this message. He says to Paul, 
because you are calm and you can trust in my presence in your life, I want you to keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Now, how is that possible? Because when Paul is calm and listening to the voice of the Lord, he is able to use the two ears that he has before he speaks with his angry mouth. He's able to listen to the deep hurt and fears and pain of others and actually then find the words that the Spirit gives him to keep on speaking and share a gospel of love and peace and hope with those who are angry. Isn't it interesting that the very people that Paul thought were opposed to him became some of his first converts? Did you notice That when he walked down the street to the house of Titius Justice, the first person who believed was one of the fellow Jews in the synagogue who had just abused him. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Well, so much for going only to the Gentiles, right? Paul realized the very person that was heaping an insult at him was actually crying out for help for Paul to love him. Now imagine that. The very person that you might think holds such deep resentment toward you, that might just be the siren call, the alarm system calling out to you, listen and love me and share with me what gives you love and hope in this world. This is not the time for Christians to become reticent about their message. This is actually a time for us to articulate better to our world. How to keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Because, Paul says, and God says to Paul, I have many people in this city who are my people. Paul, you made the one mistake that so often I make, and maybe you make as well, when you're trying to solve a problem, you try to do it all by yourself. Did you notice God had assembled this wonderful team for Paul? He had uh, Aquila and Priscilla, Silas and Timothy. They were all arriving in Corinth about at the same time. And do you notice what Paul did in the passage? He went into the synagogue all by himself, as my sons used to say when they were younger. I'll do this all by myself. Thank you very much. Paul, you've got a whole team of people. Why are you walking into the synagogue alone? You've got Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and Timothy and and Pastor Mark and Pastor Tracy and Pastor Dan, and you've got a whole team of people here, right? Why would we ever go it alone? Why would we ever think that God has placed the entire burdens of carrying the cross all on your shoulders? What would it be like for us to link arm in arm with those around us here at Christ Church and our communities as we walk from Clarendon Hills to Hinsdale, from Darien to Oak Brook to Lawndale to Lombard to Lyle as a team? To communicate with the Lord and with each other the message of hope that he would be asking us to share. One of our alumni in at Northern recently tried this. He's pastoring a a small church just on the outskirts of Indianapolis. His congregation is is just about 100, 150 people or so. 
And they were having uh, uh, some struggles getting younger people to come to church. And they were dealing with an aging congregation. And they were worried about the future. And, 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 and they decided instead of asking each other, they decided to ask their community. You know, If we had a church here, what would you need from the church? Interesting question. You know. And the community told them two things. They said, well, we do have the highest rate of opium addicts in our county, in, in our county, and all of the state of Indiana, and we can't figure out what to do about it. And we have no affordable preschool to send our children so that the parents can get a job and go to work. Is there anything you could do about that? So the church prayed, and they decided to start a recovery ministry for the opium addicts so they could share the gospel of Jesus Christ and teach these men and women healthy practices of recovery from addictions, and they decided to open an affordable preschool so that their children could be educated in the love of Christ. And I asked the pastor, well, how's it going? And he said, oh, well, we have a real problem. We're growing in addicts and babies. (laughs) Wow, what a great problem to have. Now, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to go to seminary to try this, you know. We have some great graduates of Northern Seminary. We've had many come right out of Christ Church, some even serving here. But you don't need a seminary degree to hear the message of the Lord today. No, in fact, you can band together right now and begin to take the anger that is inside your own life and say, Lord, I want you to replace it with your presence so that I could speak a word of hope and grace and be attentive to those who are poisoned by the toxic anger in our society. I read about this in the, on the news and in the paper just a few weeks ago. This kind of happened um, when this family was on vacation on the, on the Gulf Coast. You may have read about it too. There was a, the, the Ursary family was on vacation just off on, on Panama City Beach on the shores of the Gulf of Mexico. And Roberta Ursery looked out into the water. This was just a few weeks ago. And she saw her two sons caught up in the rip current right out in the Gulf. You remember this? And so she immediately dropped everything she was doing. She and her husband swam out to try to rescue her kids. And she too got caught in the rip current, as is often the case. Your parental instinct says go and rescue them and they suddenly become victims of the same rip current. They're about to be caught up and drowned. But that's when something incredible happened, almost miraculous. A woman named Jessica Simpson, who didn't know Mrs. Ursary at all, never seen her before in her life, was also paying attention. (laughs) And she said to her husband, these people are not going to drown today. But instead of Jessica Simpson just going out into the water to try to be a hero, Jessica started telling everybody else on the beach, hey, I need your help. And she, along with 80 other people, linked arm and arm together, forming a human chain, leading them from the shores of the beach all the way out into the middle of the rip current. They grabbed those two kids up and passed them down the the human chain like firefighters passing buckets of water, right? They grabbed Mrs. Ursary right before she had a heart attack. She later had a heart attack on the beach and was revived and saved at the hospital. 
And these 80 complete total strangers went to the work of rescuing people that they'd never met before. Simpson said, I couldn't believe that all of these strangers could suddenly unite to save people they had never known before. Let me ask you something. If total and complete strangers can link arm in arm while they're on vacation on the beach. Imagine what a group of Christians called the church could do. Now I know when you walk around Hinsdale, Clarendon Hills, when you're out shopping at the mall in Oak Brook, it doesn't look like people are drowning. Everyone looks like they're keeping their heads right above the waterline. But I can assure you, they hide it very well. And with eyes to see and ears to hear, you might be the very people who are the church for this city. That linking together arm in arm and hand in hand, you could be God's rescue operation. If this morning you would hear the voice of the Lord, do not be afraid. I am with you. Would you bow with me for prayer this morning? Loving Heavenly Father, we come to you as your church. We come to you, many of us, with heads just above the waterline. And some of us drowning in our own poison of anger and fear and worry. And this morning, my, my prayer for all of us who gather as your church is that in these few brief moments that we have together, that this might be the morning that we could hear and sense and see your very presence walking to us on the water and that we would hear you say, just as you said to Paul, just as you said to disciples, just as you said to Isaac, do not be afraid. I am with you. And somehow today, Lord, just that simple promise would summon within us the courage to speak to speak even words we don't know to say, but because we are dependent upon you, your Holy Spirit will teach us in those quiet listening moments to counter the anger and the hate and the fear with your love. Because, Lord, we believe your sons and daughters are coming home. Sometimes the very people that... (laughs) 
we thought were opposed or reviling us, we, we actually figured out that was just a cry for help. And so, Lord, may today be the day that we would be the church for this city. And we do it today because we want to honor and glorify you. That we want you to be the one who receives the praise and glory for whatever work that might happen because of all that you have said and done through us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.